Um, Channel 10. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Using Audible, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial by going to audibletrial.com slash channel 10. That's channel and the number 10. Um, by going to audibletrial.com slash channel 10. You'll have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android device, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. In addition, if you want to help support the podcast, you can go to channel10podcast.com and whenever you order from Amazon, you can click on the Amazon link. There's a link at the top. Um, where you can click on an Amazon uh, portal, and by going to Amazon and clicking that link, whatever you buy through Amazon will get a little kickback at no cost to you. So uh, you can show us support that way by showing love to channel10podcast.com. And with that, let's get into the show. We used to be like, see you there, Channel 10. And we used to think the people would catch on. You know but if you're not from Queens, <laughs> if you don't got Time Warner or whatever, <laughs> like, well, I didn't know that. Do it, yo. yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up, on, man? What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. What up? All good, baby. In every hood, son. What up? Yo. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Network Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, this grown man. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Call is now being recorded. Alright, cool. Um, <laughs> welcome to the Channel 10 podcast. Um, uh-huh. We're here. It's your man, uh, the almighty ARR, taking the building alongside Sengard Superior. Say what up to the people. What's going on? What's going on? And uh, very, very, <laughs> this very special episode. We have uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Schoolie D. And uh, we're very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. I like, I like my myth better. <laughs> the myth. I like to get myself a myth. <laughs> I think I think with this whole thing with um, um uh, with um social media, I know shit about people I don't even I didn't even want to know about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like damn, it's just it's the myth of the, the some some people. I'm gonna say some artists like me because um to get right into it, I'm not I'm not um, a rap artist. I'm an artist who sometimes uses rap to get his point across, and I think that's what um mm-hmm. I think a lot of people got me confused with the rap like oh, El Cool J. Is a rap artist and a very fine rap artist. Scully is an artist who uses rap to sometimes get his point across. And can't you, you if you try to put that kind of art out an artist um, together with a rap artist, you can't. You know that that's a, that's something that started happening in the late '90s to now. It's like you just start lumping us all together as like one thing. Did I just overtake the fucking podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, man, not at all, not at all. Keep, keep, keep speaking your mind. And um, when I see it, and um, um, it's like the NWA movie. I haven't, I haven't gone to see it yet. Cause I don't, I'm gonna wait. I don't want to be disappointed because I just, uh, I'm a huge 
huge James Brown fan, and I got to perform with him in, in Europe before he died. I was I was honored that he knew who the fuck I was, and um, and when I probably saw the new movie. It was just like, yeah, be fucking kidding me. It made him look like a a raging maniac, and it wasn't filmed very well. It should have been filmed more like a docudrama because it was like um. I was waiting for I was waiting for the part when Bootsy because I know Bootsy I know the story about um, when Bootsy and his, and his cousins took over um, for Fred Westman and those guys that that it was an amazing story and they didn't even show you know what I'm saying they didn't even show the part when Bootsy was like hit it Bootsy boo doo 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 you know how famous that fucking baseline is to fucking funketeers and hip hop heads you know what I'm saying mm, yeah. it's just kind of like watched them, you know what I'm saying? It's like watched them right across. It's like just, you know what I'm saying? Didn't even play the baseline. I was like, fuck you. I almost fucking kicked the goddamn television. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you know, like that's the that's the thing about like why I'm afraid to see the NWA movie because Me too. um because I know that like you know one aspect that they're missing is like the really early part when it was NWA and the posse when you had Arabian yeah. Prince and you know the whole electoral element you know right. Yeah. Before before they became straight gangster, and so I don't really like the fact that they, that they left that whole part out. Of course, they leave that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, I mean, yeah, but, you know, but I, but I, but I'm with you. It was a pretty good one. Yeah, it's a, it's a good story. It's like, um, um, people have been asking me to, um, when am I going to do my make my story a biopic, or whatever. And, I had a couple of producers, movie producers, they want to they do it. But you know what? It's interesting. They want to do from 72 to 85, which is like this. And that's, that's those years of mine, which actually helped create that sound. It wasn't, I just didn't wake up in 1982 or 1983 or 1985 when I did PSK. And just, you know what? I'm just going to do that. Like those years from 72 to 85, which that's, that's, groundbreaking and that's the soil those are the roots and um unless somebody's willing to tell that story you know what i'm saying uh tell it backwards i want to tell it backwards i want to come out on stage and you see like performing psk or gucci time then work back because that's that's the important shit everything that happened after that was just like it was um craziness and um and um i think a lot of a lot of Cats today don't give us credit because we was 19, 20, 21, 17. You know, we were changing the fucking world. And to to hear how we're being talked about and treated, like we should have did this and should have did that. And it's like, hmm, really? And not to, not to be on top of millennials, it's like, really? It's like, no, I was doing that 24 you know what I mean? And we talking about we did this with no help from our parents, no help from the, the black community, definitely no help from the white community, no help from we had to we had to make our own fucking community. Which means that we had we had to hire every black Mexican and Puerto Rican that we knew. You understand what I'm saying? We 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 fucking it's like you couldn't be who I was or who LL was or who Rick Rubin was or anybody without the fucking financial support of motherfuckers in the Bronx, motherfuckers in West Philly, motherfuckers in Atlanta, motherfuckers in Comp. You know what I'm saying? 
And you couldn't mm-hmm. do that without hiring motherfuckers from the hood. Everybody's manager or road manager was their cousin. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It's like, and we all we put, we had to put money directly back into the hood. You know how many fucking grocery stores we opened up, and you know what I'm saying? And like car shops and wheel places, and you know what I mean? And as for like fashion, we had to we hired like. Like if somebody knew how to sue, they would sell. They were the motherfuckers who made all our shit. You know what I mean? And it was just like to see people talking about us, that 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 crew um, from '82 to like '90. For, for them to even saying the harsh words about us, man, we were fucking kids. We changed the world forever. <laughs> Just like rock and roll changed the world forever. Just like funk changed the world forever. And bebop and jazz, you know what I'm saying? And poetry and Gil Scott changed the world. Richard Pryor changed the world forever. And we were brave. You know how many motherfuckers died? Somebody died, you know what I We got up and went back to fucking work. You know what I mean? And, and we didn't bitch. It was the same kind of shit that's going on right now today. Police, no jobs. No money, no nothing. If there's no money, how the fuck is fucking Jay-Z and Kanye billionaires? Somebody giving them that money, and it's money coming from the hood. Back in the day, they demanded. You know, you can't be a rap star. You can't be a star if you don't give back directly. So, okay, that's my mom's my soapbox. Probably, you know, <laughs> but is that what you want to talk about? No, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of it. Was that, was, that, was that what you wanted to talk about tonight? Because if it wasn't, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that um, one of the things that really intrigued me is that you know during the research, I saw that you know you um graduated, I think from high school in Atlanta, and then when you came yeah. back to Philly, you started your own record label at the age yeah. of twenty. Yeah, and like you know. People do that now, but, you know, back then in the forefront and everything, you know, I was just wondering, like, how did you do that? Um, I did it because, you know, it's, um, not to sound crazy, but, you know, I knew I was, I knew why I was here on earth when I was such a young kid. It's like, it's, um, when I was seven or eight, my family, my father, we started a family band, so it was music. So we were raised to, to we were raised to, like, change the world. And I had, like, a lot of... It was um, it was it was the sixties and seventies when it was like social change. When it was like little black boy, you can do anything you want, and you know <laughs> all of us didn't believe it, but I was one that believed it, and I believed it because it got reinforcement from my parents. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they taught us everything. They taught us how to stuff motherfuckers in Cadillacs, and they taught us how to cook and dress and clean. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is how to fish, how to make the fire, how to fight, how to box, how to stab, how to fuck. You know what I mean? And so it was like it was. I was just I'm just gonna say I was just born to do it, but um, um, I'm also a painter, and I, that shit take too much. It was taking so long, man. I remember I was in Atlanta, and um, I was working on this painting for a year. And my girlfriend was just like, you know, one of those fucking, you know, said the black rim glasses and shit, long fucking cigarette holders. I mean, it needs more blue or some shit. I'm like, fuck that bullshit. <laughs> I fucking swear to you, I threw my motherfucking paintbrush down, moved back to Philly, and my, and my parents were just like, well, what do you know about starting a record label? I was like, I don't know, but I knew. And I did. Um, now, and I, now, and I just knew. I just picked up. Basically, I just picked up the fucking phone book. I found where places you record, 
I found pressing plants. I found places that would make the labels. Um, it was like I was got. We were we were all DJs in Philly, so I mean, like all everybody on all the record shops, and it was just like, well, you know what? You can get the record. I'll start it for you. So no. Of, um, you know, like a, a lot of independent, um, you know, music and like record labels going on throughout Atlanta during your time there when you were in high school. Right. Um, no, we were getting we were getting our records from. It's funny, we were getting our records from um, from Philly and and South Carolina, North Carolina, and Miami. That's where the records were coming from. They weren't coming. Um, it was like um, it was a scene now. There was a big funk scene, like the SOS band. Was there Gladys Knight was there? It was, it was the, um, the Gap Band. They were down there, but it was um, it was the, the the music was coming from Philly, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Miami. Because like I had cousins, and you know my homies up in Philly, they were they were sending us the records. And then once I got once I got like the Funky Four Plus One, and um, I was listening to Funky Four Plus One, rapping and rocking the house, listening to Prince, um, Dirty Mind, um, uh, Moody's Mood. And uh, Rick James, those those four those four records I was listening to. And I said, you know what? I heard Prince talking, I heard him talking, I heard Rick James talking about ghetto life. So you know what I'm saying? I was like, you know what? That's that's my voice. That's my voice. And I decided, you know, I promised my mom I would go, I would go to go back to college because I was supposed to be a painter living in the south of France and shit, you know. But it mm-hmm. was, um, I said, I would, I promised her that I would paint all the time. So that's when I um, created the, the, the cartoon character in school today. I was just, you know, that was my promise to my mind. And I would always, no matter what kind of music, no matter what I do, I would always paint and draw. So she got her wish. We both got our wishes. Mm-hmm. Now, like when you were doing, when you were involved in your family band as a as a young kid, um, yeah. were you guys like kind of like the partridge, the the, uh, the like the black partridge family? Yeah, we're you guys partridge like go everywhere. <laughs> you know what? You know, know what song we sang? Get off your ass and jam. <laughs> that was our first song. <laughs> our first microphone was like shit. God damn, get off your ass and jam. <laughs> shit. God damn. I remember my mother. I remember. I remember. Um. I came home, um, uh, so I would go, I, would, I live like in South Carolina, North Carolina, Kentucky. I would go wherever my sisters went. And um, I came home and, and my brother said, we got this whole prank of, before they was doing like Jackson Bob shit, like get ready and shit like that. And I smelled weed and so we got some new shit. And that's the first song we heard. And God bless my mother, she was the first lady. She was just like, fuck it. You know what? You ain't out shooting and killing cuss all you want <laughs> and that was our first song that was the first song we sang because first it was like the, we had the instrument um, we had to learn how to um, play instruments we did that for like three years and then we learned how to sing and that was our first song so it was no no it was no purchase family <laughs> it was that family on the block <laughs> my father would come it was funky Friday he would bring the fucking speakers out put them on the porch fucking you know, grab the two twelve gauges and some Johnny Walker black or red and sit out there and my mom was like, I can say, God damn it, woman, shut up. <laughs> Pump that shit out. <laughs> God damn right. That's what we did. That's we was that family on the block. <laughs> That's who we was. So um that that shaped me. I mean so go listen to like um listen to Richard Pryor and Red Fox, um living in Philly um, Mayor Rizzo, um, Gil Scott, that that started that started to change a couple riots. 
You know what I mean? It's like, why is this? I, and that shit, that shit is real. You could be standing there. You could be physically just standing there and 50 motherfuckers run up with fucking um, trash cans and setting on fire. All of a sudden, they, they call it a mob rule. You all of a sudden, you find yourself in it. And that shit is just like, because you, you're so, just so bent up. You know what I'm saying? It's just so, it's like, God damn, don't give us a, we don't get no work, we don't get no food, we don't get no dip, you know what I mean? And, and, and part side when I was growing up was a middle class black, black family kind of, it was Jewish and half Jewish, mostly Jewish, and then it turned out to be like all black, but it was, it was that thing. So that's, that's, that's who my voice was. And my father made me promise that, you know, you change the world. It's all here to change the world. Okay, what the fuck anybody said? So I think that's what, and I believe it. Because I knew I was going to do it. And that's, um, I'm over 50, so that's not weird or arrogant. 49 is creepy, but I'm over 50. I can say that shit. <laughs> like, and I think that's the difference. I think that's the difference now. It's, um, it's like the world is, is, is smaller because of the internet, but I don't think cats are using it to make it bigger for them. But I'm not mm. saying all cats, but when I talk to young cats, I talk to these kids, and they, they can't believe that we started this business with just black people and brown people. They can't believe it, and they can't believe it was pretty much you start you started this shit by one like one house, one block, one neighborhood, one city, one radio station, one one everything at a time. They can't believe they can't. It's too much work for them. <laughs> and I'm not saying all the other one. I'm 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 I am seeing like some kind of like progress from like younger kids like in their thirteens, but a lot of cats closer to their twenties and thirties, they they, they, they they can't grasp the concept because they didn't grow up in that concept. But it's like it's like the internet, y'all can use it to y'all y'all can fuck man, y'all can fuck these motherfuckers up with the internet. But the only problem with the internet if I'm seeing is like if you say the wrong words, they shut you the fuck down. <laughs> you know what I mean? But Y'all should be fucking these, man. This is y'all world. Y'all should be fucking, man. Y'all should be fucking this shit up. Oh, try to Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you understand what I'm saying? I'm looking at this. Y'all should be fucking this shit up. This is y'all world. This is, this is y'all blessing. This is y'all blessing. This is, this is, and I'm, I'm just going by, like, the, your voices. And you must, you sound like you're in your 20s or 30s. This is y'all blessing. And it's like, that's the shit y'all should be taking to be, be fucking everybody up because we took our blessing and we ran with it. We said, you know what? You know, fucking Pensacola, Sprite, there ain't no fucking vodka deals. You know what I'm saying? We was, we was millionaires at 20, I was millionaire 24. We didn't need your fucking money. We didn't need no deals. No deals. I remember a time when everybody black was rich. From like 95 to 8, from 85 to 95, everybody black was rich. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> and now, mm. You know, we sold it, and everybody black broke again. Poor as hell. Getting beat the fuck up. Shot, killed, murdered. Fucking the word nigga came back like the word nigga. <laughs> fucking calling his <laughs> hood and thug. Nigga, shoot him. Kill him, shoot him, kill him. Throw him in jail. Fucking nigga, the black people in, fucking, we in jail like motherfuckers now. Worst in the 70s or the early 80s. And the, and the music... That that was supposed to be for poor people to to eat and survive on. We don't sold it, and we don't even control it because we 
you know, we want to be on TV or we think we we think we're gonna beg on let us on the radio. Motherfuckers, I, I didn't care, motherfuckers. It, it, the radio station would call me. I said, man, make a radio. I made like maybe two radio edits in my life, and I hated it. And mm-hmm. it's like cause, because, like I said, I'm an artist first, and it's like you know, the way Paul Picasso, like, look, dude, <laughs> you know what? That would sell, but you know, you gotta take all the you gotta take all the art out <laughs> and just and just paint what everybody else is paying. We wouldn't have a Picasso. We wouldn't have Cool D if I made everything for the record. It's like it's like NWA um, and LL. Um, I could see I could see why they made this stuff because they wanted they wanted to be the entertainment part of it. We all couldn't be the entertainment part of it. Somebody had to be the artist part of it, and. You know, I, you know, I chose, and I couldn't even choose it. But like, I'm just the artist part of it. You know what I mean? So, um, so that's that's um, that's not my bed, but that's that's my part of history. I'm going to be remembered as a complete artist, and these guys, those guys, are more entertainment. Mm-hmm. So, so when you come, so when so when you graduate from um, high school in Atlanta and you come back right. to Philly, what was right. like? the climate like, you know, um, in, in regards to like the hip hop culture in Philadelphia, um, when you came back to Philly and, um, and, and, and actually like, what area of Philly are you in? West Philly. And oh, West Philly. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to just say it's, okay. it's another thing. Another different thing is the eighties was magic time. That was, um, the dawn of Aquarius. It was, it was about to be over. Have you ever heard of the age of Aquarius? And that was, that was about everything. Everything that happened in the eighties was fucking new, and it hasn't been something new created since the eighties. Like computers and phones, cell phones. And it was like hip hop, bebop, punk, 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 thrash, all this shit, house music, all this shit. <laughs> we had like probably twenty new genres of music in the eighties. Twenty new genres of music. We had shit colors was happening. We had like Miami Vice. We had new drugs come along. We had like great crack and ice. You know what I'm saying? Like Richard Pryor's all the dots, free basin. It was it was fucking we had Oliver North. We you know what I mean? It was like it was mm. fucking we had the, the Jamaican drug gangs. We it was like AIDS. It was you know man, it was like fucking magic. It was magic. You it, you had to be dumb or had no fucking talent not to throw something at the wall or have nothing, something stick. I mean, it was so... You know what I'm saying? Like it, was, it was... If you had an idea between 85 and 95, you said, yo, man, I got an idea. Somebody said, oh, here's 100 grand. Go, go work it out. You know what I mean? Because they were artists. They looked at us as... It was artists. But as... So it was magic. So when I came, it was just like black parties and blam, blam, blam. You know what I'm saying? It's like smoke that shit would be a DJ. It was like we got like twenty DJs and we only got thirty. We got twenty DJs and thirteen MCs. <laughs> we don't need another DJ. <laughs> so, but <laughs> and my homies got word around ten pretty involved. It was just like, dude, you like it's. It's, it's your voice, man. You always cracking people up. You always, you always been strange. You always just saying shit. You always, you know, you always, you, you, you're political. People listen to you and they laugh at you. It's like it's um, so they convinced me. Um, cannot be DJ Twenty One. Um, but once I got, once I became D, MC Fourteen, the next summer it was just like it was just me. 
it was me and Worldwide. That was it. Out of the 14 DJs. Um, so I just, you know, I was kind of like making my market. But I knew that's what I wanted to do. And um, and I was naive. And I still, I still like me being a little naive because it keeps me from being a complete dick. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, it's like if you just, if you're so fucking, it's like, I'm just a shit. You're just a dick. If you're like, you know what? I'm the shit, but you know what? I still got to learn something. I still believe in magic. So I believe in magic, and which I still do, and I believe I'm magical. So it was like, I just took that moment, and um, it was like a couple more than a few pivotal moments. Almost like I remember this, like, and everybody was fucking rapping, and, and, McFadden and Whitehead was coming down to checking out the rappers and they wouldn't let me rap they would leave because everybody was kind of like like um, sounding like Curtis Blow like other New York rappers would just grabbed the microphone I was just like if the business got the itches and hold everybody just got grandmothers and babies and they thought they were like oh man school even fuck up now and they fucking applauded Grandma, she <laughs> was a church lady on the corner selling some weed. A kid came along, the fucking MC set. Everybody just like, holy shit, holy mm. shit. Mm. And then two months after that, later I was opening up for Prince. So that I think the cousin for me is that's how you know you're talking to me. That that was my thing. It was like, well, I'm gonna. I'm going to rap or sing the way I talk and the way we talk. And so I took the stories of my brothers first because they were the closest to me um, and my father. Then I just started taking stories of like all the cats in the neighborhood and I started putting them together and started making tapes. And, um, um, my man Abdullah was selling them like all the silly, but it was too, I, don't, I, I can't even describe it. I don't even know what it is to describe how you can feel. It's like because there was already computers. There was already like self. I guess it's like I don't know a brand new app for you motherfuckers, which I can't even see. Like what well, a brand new candy cane, whatever the fuck else motherfuckers play today. I I can't even explain the excitement because everything you're doing right now, everything y'all got right now, came out of like from eighty five to ninety five, or from eighty two. To, to 92. You understand what I'm saying? Like, everything we're doing. There's a flat screens is already here. Like, every, like, everything was already started. Everything was already started. The music is... And there hasn't been a, a creation of a new music. Like, hip-hop is, like, the last thing. And hip-hop back then was a joke. People said it was... Mm-hmm. Everybody said it was a joke. Everybody, imagine. You can't even... Really, you probably can't even imagine people calling hip-hop a joke. You can't even imagine... You probably can't even imagine black people hating hip-hop. Black motherfuckers, they motherfuckers, they hated it. They hated musicians, jazz musicians. Everybody hated that shit. There was getting no radio play. It was we were you know what I'm saying? It was the only only rappers that was getting being on Sprite or movies and corny rappers wasn't real ones. Um, and hip hop wasn't represented. It was like very, it was extremely, it was like either extremely watered down or not presented at fucking all. And that shit was beautiful. Yeah, shit was beautiful. I'm telling you, because we we could be artists, any kind of artists we wanted to be. And I think all the original artists were like they were like clothes designers, they were chefs, they were musicians, they were politicians, they were poets, painters, and sculptors. That's like, we were avant garde. You know, if you understand what I'm saying. So I can't. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what like what's new. What what like 
Like, what would you... I, I can't even... It's no comparison. It hasn't been anything so fucking exciting and new since hip-hop. Which was... When it, when it was born, people said it was a joke. Like, everybody said it was a joke. There's no more punk song. There's no more thrash. There's no more metal. There's no hardcore metal. You know what I'm saying? Every fucking everything. The only, mm-hmm. only motherfucker who survived that shit was Prince and Rick James. Rick James is dead. What, 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 what band survived that shit? <laughs> None. None. They all laughed at it. None survived. But our music survived because it was born from magic and it was given to us for us to feed our families and then take care of our neighborhoods. And we put somewhere along the lines, we forgot that when niggas start getting on TV. Because I know this shit, when they got my black ass on TV, I tell them, you know you hired Richard Pryor, right? <laughs> so just keep the fucking beeping. So once they figured out they couldn't manipulate me that way, they went on to the next cat. You know, they mm-hmm. they just did they they just they got rid of all the cats they couldn't manipulate. They couldn't manipulate Chuck J. They couldn't manipulate me. They couldn't manipulate Big Daddy Kane. They they started like finding people they could manipulate. People mm-hmm. who just wanted to be entertainers. You know, so they just said so NWA, they wanted to entertain. Um, I think they they did have a message, but they wanted to entertain their message, if you understand what I'm saying. They wanted to make music and videos like the movie Superfly, if you know what I mean, they, they took it that <laughs> yeah, way. So we want to make it. We want to make it entertaining. School, you could, you could make it real and poetic. We want to make it entertaining, and it was enough room back then because it was only ten rappers. You know what I'm saying? It was like ten motherfuckers doing it, so it was enough elbow room for me to be the artist, Ice T and N.W.A. to be entertainers, L.L. to be a lyricist. P.E. and B.D.P. to be political. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying that like those three, you had like the X-Clan, you had like, you know, Clear people. You know what I'm saying? You, you had enough room for women to be sexy and smart. Now you just got like a bunch of stink-ass bitches. It's, you know, you understand what I'm saying? It was enough elbow room for everybody to do what they had to do. And the message was certainly clear. And we were speaking to our contemporaries who understood you know, when white when white men ask me like that to, today, they ask me that dumbass question like, "How you got to the why? Why you guys use nigger and all that?" Because you know what? First, me personally, y'all motherfuckers, I never expect y'all motherfuckers to even listen to this shit because black people know when to use brother and when to use nigger. Black people know that you don't be calling them a real black woman a bitch and get your ass kicked. You understand what I'm saying? We know right. those things about us. We didn't expect our motherfuckers to even like this shit because you told us. You said we ain't never going to play it, we ain't never going to like it, and it's a fad. So why would we, so why now should we start catering, you know, and, and changing it up for you and which is like, which is what they don't. They, they, these kids think that because they're talking about like kill bitch, bitch, nigga, bitch, 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 bitch. They think that they being original, but they and they think they being hard. They think they being black, but they just cater into what they expect us to do. And when when the it's man feed it into various stereotypes. Yes, and 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 that's why it's like you know what. And then now is the time because if you if you look, y'all motherfuckers look like Justin Bieber. <laughs> and you look like you can, when you can go buy that shit from Sears, it's time to change the fuck up. You understand what I'm saying? We we were always thinking like and it was magical, especially in the '80s. We were always the self-expression, and we wanted to be different from the man. Nobody wanted to be that greedy motherfucker. 
on Wall Street. Now we want to be the greedy motherfucker on Wall Street, which is insanity. Mm -hmm. Answer the question. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to um, uh, some of the stuff that you were uh, talking about, um, I was curious because, you know, looking at uh, Ice-T, he always bigs you up and um, he was talking talking about, you know, uh, he was influenced by you when he made the song Six in the Morning. So I was wondering what yeah. your reaction was when you first heard that song and then when you heard N.W.A. and they had styles that were similar to yours. Um, those guys, they sent, they sent me their records. Um, um, full of the records. We had a, um, uh, Chris Schwartz, who, um, who I hired to talk to business. He, he, had a, he opened up a little, little promotion thing. And on the side, we wanted to make some money on the side, so we helped promote NWA. We helped promote Two Live Crew up on the East Coast, and they sent me their records. And I, I was, I was on tour, um, like for half a year, and um, I know T wanted to put he wanted to put Six in the Morning out for a while, but he really wanted me to hear it first. And um, I remember coming home, my mom was like, "Yo, this guy HP and his manager George been calling you for like two months." So um, I gave him a call back. And back in the day, if you needed to reach school today, all you had to do was call my mother. <laughs> my mother would be like, baby, it's okay to call that man, but he's been calling the house. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> knew that in the business. <laughs> if you're going to school and need to do something, you call his mom. And my mom's baby, you need to get out there and do that. So he played it for me over the phone. It was like, I, and like the first eight bars, it's like, I was just like, damn, right. And he wanted me to come out. And um, I was heading over um, back over to um, to the UK. I was going to be there for a couple of months. And I said I would come straight back. I wouldn't stop in Philly. I would go straight to LA, which is a fucking disaster. I was tired of shit. Just like fucking eight, twelve hours, thirteen hours. And um, and did like a mini tour. And I met T. And it was like um, that's how I met. Him. I had um, laryngitis, and we couldn't talk. And we supposed to perform, and he, you know what I'm saying? He performed my stuff, his stuff, and it was like, it was cool. But, and then, you know, he introduced me to drain all those cats. And through. I mean, it was, I mean, like I said, it was like, it was less tension back then because it was like 10 rappers back then. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm saying aside from New York, you know what I mean? It wasn't that many, I probably can't believe it, but it wasn't just that many rappers making records outside of New York. Um, mm. So we, you know, we had an allegiance, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I've, um, there was there was no East Coast, West Coast thing. And then me being from Philly, I, I, I did find myself in a precarious situation because, you know, okay, how I, I was influenced and influenced the West Coast and the South. And I wasn't from New York, so and I didn't sound like cats from Philly. So I was kind of like, and still probably today, I, I feel like I'm in no man's land. You know what I mean? Just like kind of like there floating around because um, in Philly, like a lot of cats are trying to be either battle rappers or pop artists. And um, I'm just, like I said, I'm an artist who sometimes uses his rap to get his point across. But um, so always, I was I was never in the middle to fight because, you know what I mean? It was just kind of like school. was kind of like, just he's just like a part. I was like, I felt like I was family with everybody. So that's, mm-hmm. so that's what it felt like, you know, working with this cast. Because if artists don't support other artists, then artists don't survive. That's mm-hmm. my opinion. Now that was then that's always been my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no. so oh. was, uh, 
Oh my, my bad. Oh, I'm um well, like going back to like the really like um like the earlier part of your career when you mentioned that right. you were making tapes in the beginning, like in I think yeah. like '82, when like one of the first yeah. tracks that you made was "Gangsta Boogie," and you yeah. speak of um uh, I believe Abdullah and like in a lot of interviews, yeah. and so I wonder, yeah. so I wanted to know if you could tell us some more about Abdullah and who he was and what he meant, what he means to you. Uh, Abdullah is is um he was um. He was one of the neighborhood captains, and he's, um, um, and his family, the Stevens family, Lynn Stevens, Avis Stevens, and, and especially Mark was his, was his younger brother. They, um, they pretty much gave me, that was the first studio, they gave me the rain to practice any, and I don't know how his mother even put up with my black ass. I, I would stay there like all night. I would rehearse till like six in the morning. And Ab was the one who was just like, man, you should write a song about, you know, because you always want that Gucci stuff. Write some songs about Gucci time. And man, he was like, what PSK? They would give me, they would give me, like, the the, the ideas, like, you should do this. And then they would, and they were selling my tapes all over film. And then, so then he was just like, you know, fuck it, you know, do this. Like, because we would have, like, a stack of tape, like, 20, Lynn had 20 um, cassette machines hooked up. And we would just, mm. you know, just tape, 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 tape. And I was like, fuck this bullshit. And I was like, dude, you right. <laughs> I can't have you up there just like making these fucking tapes and shit. And he was like, well, you make records. And, um, and it was like, it was just, it, it was that, that the, the Stevens family did this. And it's like Lennon and it's Master Martin, rest in peace. It was like, um, they gave me the encouragement. And they made me, they made sure that my voice was my voice. Like the first time I even rapped, I, I didn't use my voice. I was just like, shut the fuck up, that bullshit. <laughs> I was like, hey, yeah. And it's like, fuck, no. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> they took me aside. I was like, dude, what the fuck is you doing? That's not what you rehearsed. That's not that shit that you, you know, you talk, and, um, I call it quality control. And to this day, I still, you know, um, I'll take whatever song I'm going to do, I'll, I'll release whatever album, I got to get parts out, stamp of approval mm. um, before anybody hears it. So, always, you know, so, um, you know, and it was like if Ab couldn't dance to it, then shit wasn't getting, it, it was like a lot of shit that said, well, that's out. <laughs> You know, um, so I guess it, it was quality control. He's my quality control. Mm, okay, so like on your very first cassette that was circulating throughout the city, right. um, what 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 exactly was on that cassette? So Gangsta Boogie, Gangsta Boogie was on that cassette, and what else was on it? Gangsta Boogie was on it. A part of Maniac was on it, and um, a bunch of um, like a bunch of freestyles. But the freestyles was more party rap kind of stuff, um, which um, which wasn't my forte, but it was like I was rapping with um, it was like the other 13 MCs. Um, mm. But the one thing that people kept asking for, they were like, cut all the other shit. It was like, ah, just cut all the shit out of that tape, and we want that shit. Whoever this <laughs> motherfucker is, you know what I'm saying? So I was coming home at night on the L, and fucking MC trying to say, it was like, that's the shit that people was doing. They were snatching gazelles mm. before, you know what I'm saying? They was stealing sneakers and sticking, and, you know, three called money. And um, that's, and it became, it became it's like school. It's all, they, all they want, because we used to buy the tapes for like four, four or five minutes. Um, 
And the, the chrome, of you guys remember that chrome tapes. That was the shit back then, chrome. And it was like four minutes aside, and it's like, can we just tape my songs, like, you know, from both sides and sell it? And, you know, because the tape was getting shorter and shorter. They couldn't just put one song on a 90-minute tape, so they, just, they were buying tapes, and it was just like, you know, there's these real short tapes, and just put them on, and then he was just like, you know what, you should probably you should put that on the record. So that was the first, that was the first record I made from the tape mm. that I was selling do, in 82. Do any of these tapes uh, still exist, do you know? Yeah, and, and, and they don't give them to me, and they're smart enough to give them to me, because I'll lose that shit. <laughs> really God, don't trust me with my shit. Don't trust the artists with the shit. I tell them, yeah, don't trust the artists. The artists will fuck that shit up every time. I don't know why, but we will. <laughs> so yeah, they all got copies, but they won't. I mean, I just got, um, uh, Lynn just put like 10 DVDs of, um, of my early uh, uh, Black Party days. I'm just like, wow. Wow. I'm going to put them on a, um, I'm going to put them on a, uh, uh, CD and, and give them give them away to get them all edited down. But uh, mm. yeah, it was, um, they yeah they all got it, but they you know they can't trust me with shit. Women mm. stealing from me and fucking burning my <laughs> shit. You know how bitches get. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened more than a few times. Um, all right, next. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, we, yeah. We are. Uh, we would love to hear those, like your earlier freestyles with um a lot of these um like the earlier Philadelphia artists, because we're always we're always interested in like learning more about um you know like the like the the local early hip hop cultures in specific sit big cities like Philadelphia and so on and so forth. See, well, the, I'm gonna say it was because the um. The eighties was it was just coming out of gang war kind of thing. So the neighborhoods were still just chopped up. So a lot of cats, whoever they they were just like the only way you were gonna hear somebody from another neighborhood if you heard on a tape. Or maybe every now and then, um there was a there was a special event. And um as you know, I went around traveling to, to listen to like the other MCs, and I remember my father was like, "He's like, well, are you gonna, you gonna, you know, be an amateur or are you gonna be a professional? You spend one year as an amateur, you get a hundred hours in, then you're a professional." So right after my first year, um, and my tape was selling, I just considered myself a professional, and a, and um, um, I basically just stopped worrying about getting influenced by other. Philly MCs, even though I liked them, I just was like, I was, and once the records came out, I started just, I was, I was gone. I was like always out of Philly, and I was like, like I was like in my own head around the world. Whereas like a lot of Philly MCs were still kind of like battling in South Philly. Yeah, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm. Um, because I, I wanted something, I wanted a complete life. You know what I'm saying? Out of this. I just didn't want to be a rapper. I'm a musician. I wanted to be a film composer and a sculptor and a painter and a chef. Design, you know what I'm saying? A design house. And so it was like my, my mission was, was different than being the best rapper in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. There's a, a lot of MCs back then where they were trying to just, and they were just trying to beat New York. Because back then, it was like Philly had the best DJs and New York had the best rappers. And I think there were a lot of Philly DJs were so concentrated on how to beat out New York. They just they kind of like stayed in one spot until 
Well, I can't say Breeze until like, I'm going to say until, until Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. You know what I'm saying? It was like, till they, till they had that breakout. Um, in the late 80s, I'm going to say most Philly rappers just kind of like was concentrating on trying to write the best battle rap to beat anybody from North Philly and then New York. That was it. And, mm. and that was great then, but for me, that was not, that was my, um, uh, I met this guy, Harry Coleman. He said, your competition is, is, um, is Luther Vandross and Michael Jackson. That's your competition. If you're, if you're in the record business, those <laughs> rappers ain't your competition. Your competition is the best-selling artist all around the world, and that's what you got to compete mm-hmm. against. So that's when I started like doing like more using more like um, song structure and things of mm-hmm. that sort. Mm-hmm. So, so um, when when you start recording, you know, like the the uh, uh, PSK and everything, you recorded in a studio that was um, specifically built for classical music. Yeah. So yeah. like, how, how? Yeah. So I, how? How did that come about? Um, I was using this other studio, it was like really small, and um, and I was like, it's like that's where I recorded Gangsta Boogie and Maniac. I said, I'm on like a like a real, cause I, you know I was um I grew up watching like um uh, James Brown, uh, Rolling Stones. Shit, like you know, things like that. Marvin Gaye, those documentaries that was on television. Every time you seen those guys recording, you seen them in a huge studio. And I kept trying to explain it. So got to, oh yeah, it's one, it's a Costco studio like that. And um, so we went there, and it was like the uh, and and we recorded everything live because like like not today you record the snare and you record the high, you know what I mean. It was like back then mm-hmm. your only our only our only reference was funk soul. And classical music, that's all we saw on television. It's like, well, that's how you record. So that's how we, so we needed a big room. That's how we got that big sound. And we recorded, and we rehearsed like fuckers, I think, like, you know, two weeks straight. So we had everything down. So when we recorded it, we recorded, like I recorded, I played the drum machine while I rapped and code scratched and, you know, and everything. And if it wasn't done perfect, we'd go back and do it. But um, that's, that's, that's how you get that, that's how you get that, um, that natural feeling because it was just so, by the time we got it down, it was just like so natural. It just felt like, from what I understand, what people tell me, you just feel like you're just sitting in my living room telling the stories and shit. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest compliments I ever got. So like, yeah, cause so it's like, you know, you would rap. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. So like, so you were in the studio and everything, and so like when I mean, did any any like the the classically trained white musicians? I'm assuming did they hear you talk about you know this ain't Prince? I don't like rock and they roll loved it. or anything like that. They, they loved it. They fucking <laughs> loved it. I mean, because they never heard anything like it. It was like I don't even want to say this nigga crazy. <laughs> it was like you crazy man, you crazy, and it was like it was um I was. Not only defending the the music, I was defending a culture. I was defending myself. I was defending my right to express myself. And at that point, it was like we were getting a lot of cats from rock and roll and folk and jazz coming down on us. So I was like, "Fuck that bullshit! Fuck y'all! This is our music. This is our magic." You know what I'm saying? And I couldn't understand like what they were saying because, because um, like I said, most of those guys who in the original 
10 years were actually, we were all actually musicians or painters or artists or poets. You understand what I'm saying? So I didn't understand why they didn't give us the credit because they had to go through the same thing. It was like, they said, this, dude, it's like the same, same, the same thing to James Brown. They said the same thing to Miles Davis and Coltrane and Bebop. And this, they said the same exact thing. Why would we keep making the same fucking mistake? Why everybody hate the next fucking thing? And then we were the next fucking thing because we, because that's what, that's what was handed to us. And I didn't understand how these cats were just like coming down. I was like, dude, it was like every generation kind of like was breaking down to something more simplified, 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 but actually more complicated. If you can understand what I'm saying. It was simplified mm-hmm. and complicated because the fact that, um, a lot of black neighborhoods, they got rid of the, the bandstand, the bands to play, and they put it in the disco floor when disco music came out. Mm-hmm. So, the word, so a lot of kids, we were lucky. We grew up in, in a family with instruments, but a lot, of, a lot of cats started to not ever see an instrument. They got rid of the music programs in black schools. You understand what I'm saying? So all of a sudden, it was like the only thing available was the turntable. And then like the only drum machine. Like, dude, it was fucking, we were geniuses. We had these little hands-on doctor rhythms. You know what I mean? Handheld doctor rhythms hitting that shit. And the, or the, or the funk box. You know what I'm saying? And that was, that was genius. That was fucking genius, but they just, you know, it took them 30 fucking years to fucking give it up to us. You know what I mean? That was shit. That shit. Miles mm. Davis always liked us. He always spoke highly of stuff like hip hoppers and beboppers. And, but it was like, it was, so it was, I felt like I had to defend us. And I had to sub defend me, and it was like my craft. So it was like, you know, fuck y'all. <laughs> like me, fuck you, right? <laughs> and I, and I don't give up, and I did. I love Prince, and you know, we wanted to have like a, a, a pseudo relationship, but it was like at that moment, really? he was he was dissing he was dissing hip hop at that moment. He really was, and but um, I loved him. I know I said fuck him, but I loved him, and mm. I still do. I stab a nigga for you know what I'm saying? Shit, bitch. Boop, boop, boop. your ass in a fucking truck. You know what I'm saying? Can't fuck with Brett. But it was like, it was, we had to say, we had to be like that. We had to. We just mm-hmm. had to. Mm-hmm. So, I hope I answered the question. You guys, are, I usually don't do interviews from cats from, from the U.S. Because most of them is boring as hell. What kind of curve you got? What kind of bitches? He's like, shut the fuck up. Fuck your mama last week. <laughs> 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 I'm fucking your mama. <laughs> you know, well, we're excited. Like, we're, we're keeping you. We're excited. You, but we're keeping you interested. Um, this is something because, like, um, as we're recording right now, birthday. So it's right. really ill. I get to talk to to Schoolie D on my birthday. This is something. Oh, Thanks, man. This is something that I've been wanting to ask your ass for about ten years now. Like I think I, I am listen. not your dad. That's <laughs> 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 what that shit about. Then what the fuck is we a little Maury or some shit? <laughs> oh man. Um. Okay, man. Yeah, man. All right, like. Um. This is. Oh, this is the main question. Like what? What the fuck were you thinking? Just like pretty much boom with nothing but drums, practically. Um, my brother was a fucking amazing drummer, and he always 
told me it was like it's all about the beat. It's all about the drum beat, and it was, um, and it's the thing. It's um, it's very well known. The scientists have studied like the brain waves, and it's like your brain. What it does is, if you listen to the music long enough, what happens is, and it's even when when you read your brain. If you notice, your brain fills in the next sentence. Like if you read fast enough, if you read well enough, your brain will fill in the next sentence because it's like it, it learns the words. All it, it just has to see like the first two letters, and you know, it's, it's, and and it's like you know, it's, this is going to be that. So in music, if you listen to it long enough, your brain, you know, like if you listen to PSK, all of a sudden you just like you don't, you just don't hear like all of a sudden you hear, then your brain will fill in all the extra instruments and my um and I always use for thought of my voice and people would say sometimes I mix my voice too low in the track, but it was like my thing my voice is like the it's the bass line. So I always I always knew that. So even and I would fuck fucking high like always fucked but it was when we were young, so it was energy. But um if you have the, it's like the, um, you could tell the sound of the music by what kind of drugs and what kind of drugs people were using by the sound of the music. It's like, so, um, back when I was creating, like, on my first four albums, it was like a lot of, a lot of, like, 40 ounces, a lot of, like, really good weed, so you can tell. Because the music, like, like my, I have, like, these two and a half minute openings and shit like that. It was very, it took time to, for the track to develop. Um, but now everybody's like cranked up on like Molly and all that shit. It's like you gotta come right in. You just gotta come right in. It's like you know, because the brain is like this. It's bouncing the drug is making the brain bounce everywhere. So the kind of drugs that cats are using in the studio is making the kind of music that's happening right now. So it's not you know you don't hear a lot of two minute openings. Motherfuckers, it's like people don't have the patience for two minute openings because the drugs, even the weed now is just like some cra- I, I haven't smoked weed in years because this shit is crazy. You know, I don't know how my bucks can smoke weed and shoot niggas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and weed, weed was smoking. You might have shoot me. Why you can't even lift the, you can't lift the bullet. He's like, man, fuck that nigga, man. We'll see him tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we'll catch that nigga next week at the party. But now, like, the kind of weed and the kind of drugs people are doing is making people amp for the music is faster and and and, mm-hmm. and just say kind of like really frantic and louder like bam, 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 bam. and it's like with the computer it's like you have like you have every fucking drum machine on your computer right now you have every fucking mode you have every guitar every you know what I'm saying so you got you got to choose from like two thousand instruments we had to choose from five fucking instruments that was it you had five instruments and you had to make that shit sound bad as hell and the first thing that's gonna sound like bad as hell is the drums, the congas, and the guitar. If you got that down, you got everything else down. So that's we made music for the type of drugs that people were doing, and and, and that's what every, that's every case. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of those jazz musicians, like like most of those guys, they you know, um, Coltrane, they were like doing a lot of heroin. So you could you could see how they came up with those crazy combinations like, you know it's like wow how the fuck did he put that in there because that's how high you understand what I'm saying so it's <laughs> yeah it's so so back then it was it was nothing for us for a rap song to be 20 minutes 
you know, since the first rap, you know, first really, I really love rapping and rocking the house when it gets like 16 minutes. That was, that was nothing then. They do it. Is there a rap song even six minutes today? I don't, I don't, was it 3.30, 4.10, maybe, maybe 3.30. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying? So it was just like, it was this, you're asking that question because you probably can't imagine people just sitting, and people will bring a fucking, you will get an album, you would get the public enemy album, and run the fuck home. Everybody be over. He walk in, fucking like everybody get their sheets out, they shit going on, fucking like you know, what I'm saying got a roller stone, fucking album cover. Everybody bowling up. Got one nigga, he bringing over the forties in the fucking courts and shit. Couple bitches around, throw some incense on, and put Public Enemy on, and you just do the whole fucking record. And you are amazed. And then he turns it over to the other side. You're amazed. And then you listen to the previous one and compare. And then you have conversations about it in that room. And it's just just not done that way today. It's not, I mean, I think we had a better experience at that, but it's just not, like, it's, everybody has their headsets. Even if people in the same room, nobody's listening to the same song. Nobody listens to the same, same music. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's sitting in the room and they got their headphones on and you, you don't have to talk, to, you can look up and everybody's like listening to music and texting each other. So I can see that as far as strange for you is that, man, just the fucking drum beat? Wow. And, but that was, that was our signature and our magic for our time. Mm-hmm. That was a long no. answer, wasn't it? I mean, but, uh, I mean, <laughs> you, but you, you fully answered my question or something that I've been, I've been yeah. wanting button to, to, to ask you for a long time, but I'm going to the actual drum machine. Is that a 909? 909. That's a 909, um, the 525, and I think the 535, something like that. Okay. I had them all linked up. Yeah, but the first one was 909. Just layering them all together. Yeah, yeah. I had like many of them up all together. Mm. And, so, and so like... So then what about like the the reverb plates and everything like that? Like what made you want to like make it so echoey? Drugs. <laughs> 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 it, was, it was, I'm telling you, man, it was just like, it's, it's, man, um, I, I just went to, um, every now and then I go and I um, record with some young cats. Um, and it was, um, it was so fucking boring. I mean, it was like, it was, it was, dude, there was no drum machines around, it was nothing, and there was no, there was no bitches, no 40s, and you know, I don't drink fucking 40s anymore, I fucking, you know, weed is not my thing anymore. It was like, it was nothing, it was, and the computer, because the computer made it everything so clinical, that, for me, it was boring, because it was, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't live, but back then when we were recording this, it was it was um, everything was real. Those 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 um, the reverb room is like they're real rooms, <laughs> and these plates are just like this. Like imagine if you go to your dining room, that wall, and put up another wall, and put up like I guess two huge eight by tens, um, uh, 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 ten plates. That's what that's what they are, and then put a microphone in it, and those. And I was like, what the fuck are those things? And that's the that's the reverb room. Everybody had a reverb room. So we set microphones up in there. I was like, I like this shit. And just, and as the night goes on, because the recording session would be like from like 12 
at night till like six in the morning. By the time the morning was done and everything was done and mixed and everything, it was just like, that's just how it came out. And no matter how I tried to change it, it was, um, I'm going to give you, um, like, I love Marley Moore. And I love his, his sound. But even if I tried <laughs> to, like, take out some of the, some of the, some, just some schooling things, like, kind of make, like, a pop, like, a poppy kind of, like, New York record, it just, it, it just didn't happen. By the end of the night, it was still me. So I just gave up trying. So that was, that was just my artistry. That was just me using the tools that I was given to make the sound that I had to make. So it was, it was, it wasn't like it was a choice. It was just like, given like, here, these are your tools. And mm. this is, so I took those tools and said, this is my sound. Okay. Well, I mean, you, <laughs> I guess that's, that's a very, a, a very simple um, answer. I thought you were going to give us um, another thing about the brain and <laughs> I mean, just think about it. It's just like if somebody just walked in and just took away everything, took all your Skype, took all your thing, took, took everything away and said, okay, now communicate. What you going to do? <laughs> you got to well. use the tool. You got to use the tool that you were, and just, you, you were given. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. Like back in the day, like you just say, okay, shit, I gotta find a landline to do this fucking interview. It's like, shit, I'm gonna tape it, and I can't use my phone because I can't use that. I can't use Skype. So, if somebody in here got a fucking uh, a cassette recorder, no, you know what I'm saying? Or uh, a portable CD burner, but you, so you gotta use that. And then that sound that you get from that would be so unique. Like, wow, this shit is unique. Mm. I'm gonna keep this fucking sound. And then yeah. that becomes your signature because those are the tools that were given. It's like I said, if you had to, if you had to do this interview on a, on a tape and somebody did the same interview with a CD burner and somebody did the same interview on Skype, you understand what I'm saying? And it's like, it's, it would be the same interview, but everybody would have a different flavor. And whatever you, mm-hmm. whatever the tool you chose, that would be your sound, that would be your signature sound because that's how you learn how to manipulate it. Mm-hmm. Now, um, how did you uh, meet uh, Cold Money? Um, I was sitting on my step, and just he was um, he was getting ready to graduate high school, and just walked up and he was like, "Yo, I heard you was looking for um, <laughs> uh, a DJ." <laughs> I looked at him. He had a backpack on. I'm like, "Who the fuck is this kid?" He was a kid. He was like sixteen, seventeen, maybe. And it was like, and he said, I hang on the turntables, but I can take it to my mom's crib and, and scratch on her on, on her component set. So I wasn't doing shit. So I was like, all right. So we took me around the scratched, and I was like, oh, shit. Two weeks later, we wrote PSK. And that, but that, I mean, that's, um, well, if you believe in magic, that's what shit like that happened. Like, you know, it's like some guys got to have um, somebody pointing them in a direction. And then you got some mm-hmm. guys like me who just, like, take direction from, like I said, from the tools that they were presented with. Um, so I like to, you know, take direction from the tools that I'm presented with. I know where I want to do. I know where I want to go. Like, I, I, like I know I knew I wanted to use my voice. I know I wanted to use my music and my art. And... And the angels just whispered in the guy's ears and said, yo, send this motherfucker over here, and then over there, and then right there, and then send him over there. That's that's my life. That's my career. That's my, you know. And every time I try to do it different, 
um, uh, it just didn't work out. Every time I tried to do like the manager, kind of like hooking up with this musician or this DJ, but it just it just fell the fucking part. So I wasn't going for it. Mm. I wasn't going for it. Um, yeah, because one thing that um that I noticed about just oh go ahead. That's right. Just finish. I was gonna say like one thing that I noticed um like you would rap a couple bars and then like. It was just like perfect timing, like uh, the DJ part would just come in and it'd be the scratch part and it's like all this crazy stuff and then you would come back in and it was just so like tight together and it didn't necessarily seem like it had a format. It just seemed like you just were just doing it and I thought that was just really dope about like a lot of your songs. It was, um, it was you got it, like we trusted each other um, mm-hmm. and we rehearsed and um like, I would go, I would make the, the beats or write the music and um, present it to code. And we would go off and put some, some... Sometimes we did it in the same room. Sometimes a lot of times we just didn't. I, I wanted to... Um, I wanted to see what he would come up with without me staring at him. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, but also, I would only write half after the verse or maybe just the first verse and then when he got together his scratching inspired always inspired the second verse um so it was like it was um um we were com- we're being competitive between each other but also we were creating that that thing we respected each other's space you know what i'm saying like i respected his space and a lot of times he never told me when he was going to stop scratching he knew where the bars were and the things but sometimes they went they went longer. If I said they just go longer, just go longer. Um, but you know, that's the most most of the time we we were recording at the same time. Like I'll be in the booth rapping, they'll be in the other booth and control them scratching. So we'd just be looking at each other, and you know, and I'd be like on the drum machine, and you know, and just boom, or I'll just play. I'll be on the drums or whatever. He just knew. We just we just knew what it felt right. Most of the time, let's say like seventy five percent of the time, we did that. It just felt right. I remember we recorded some things um, at Studio Four, and we did um, "Do It, Do It." It was like four tracks, and he looked at us like, "Dude, you got like forty-eight more tracks." I'm like, "Dude, it's fucking hip hop." And, and he looked at me like, "What do you mean it's hip hop?" When it started, it's done. That's what we mean. It's like that. Is this shit dope? It was like, "Yeah, this shit is dope." Well, then this shit is done. Don't you want to ask me something? Like, no, we don't. This shit is, you know. It was um, um. And and um, that was the two things I said. You know, if the speakers didn't burst, because you know we, we brought a lot of subwoofers and a lot of woofers, or on my part, or it was just like the thing was like if we didn't feel like it was if it, if it was done, it was just done, and we just walk out and the engineer like are you coming back? When well, no, we go home, it's done. It's done. Mm-hmm. We'll be back tomorrow to mix it, and they they couldn't. A lot of people just couldn't understand like when it was. And then there were songs like I. Um, I treat it as um, as an orchestra, you know. Like, am I, am I black enough for you? It's like a combination of twenty songs put together, twenty snippets of each song um, mixed together. And when I was mixing them together, they were they everybody thought it was crazy. So I told everybody get the fuck out, go home. Me and the engineer, we mixed it and we came back. It was just like wow, that mm-hmm. shit was just so. So some things was a big, something big. And some, and some things are just being very simple. 
Now, um, I was I was um, I was on the train earlier, and I was listening to the song um, "How a Black Man Feels," and it was like the perfect soundtrack to everything that was going on around me. And I was just wondering what was the change in your mind state once you started to um, get into "Am I Black Enough for You" and "How a Black Man Feels" and what was going on around that time. Um, it was, it was, it was on purpose. It was, I, you know, once I, I made a, a, a half deal with the devil, I mean, because it was, the people were moving away from, um, I was independent for so many years, but people were like, the, the, the major companies were starting to like come get involved and, and, um, nobody was paying up. So it was like, you know, we go out of business and I had like 13 employees and I was, you know what I'm saying? So I was trying deals with these record labels, but I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get kicked off every fucking. I'm gonna take their money. I'm gonna make the blackest <laughs> fucking records ever. <laughs> get fucked up. I'm gonna make. I'm. Am I black enough for you? I think it was like 15 songs with the word black in it. They was like this <laughs> crazy, and because it was like, <laughs> they was like, wait a minute, you can't be conscious and hardcore and gangster, and that pissed me the fuck off. Because this was white men telling me that. And I was like, dude, my father told me can't no white man tell a black man how to be a black man. So how the fuck is he going to tell me how black I can be? It's like, and, and I think that was at the point. I don't know if we got back to that. It's like, um, being black in America is very complicated. Black man is very complicated. We're very fucking complicated. And he's right. We go to church and preach glory to God and Jesus. But we will shit your ass Saturday. Am I right or wrong? <laughs> That's what black men are. <laughs> we will bust a cap in you and go to church. That's how complicated we are. And we believe in both. It's not, it's not like we can't, you know what I'm saying? It's not like you can't do that and then believe um, in, in in Allah or Jesus or, you know, or Muhammad or, you know what I mean? It's like you can, you can be both. Well, they were trying to tell me you can only be one. And I was like, no, you can't, you can't tell me just to be fucking one. So, you know, I was like, fuck, you know, they would just me million dollars. I was saying, I was like, man, you know, you know, I'm going to do with this money, right? can't <laughs> 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 get nothing back of this fucking money. And when we did that record, it was on Capitol. And they brought me out of the job deal. And they gave me millions of dollars just, just to shut me up. Because it was just like, they, I wasn't... Um, the thing is, it's the interview that really sets you apart. You can make any kind of, like, you can, it's just like um, Clint Eastwood made all those fucking rebel movies. You know what I'm saying? It, it was, you know, it's like, but when he did an interview, he wasn't, he wasn't fighting for the South. He wasn't a racist. He was Clint East fucking wood. He had a fucking brain. And that was my point of view. It was just like, I can make any kind of fucking record I want. I'm speaking for the people. I'm speaking for people who have no voice. You know what I'm saying? All those stories aren't necessarily mine, but I know somebody who feels this way. And that's our job. That was the, that was the job of the hip-hop artist. That was my job was to tell you a story. My job was to explain your pain. My job was to let people know what the fuck we was going through. It wasn't like Schoolie going through all of this. It was like, no, Schoolie and everybody and all of us was going through this, and they chose me to tell the fucking story. And you're trying to tell me I can only tell one side of the fucking story? Fuck you. So mm-hmm. that's when that's that's when I took a um I took a I took the as they say the crazy nigga stand, 
and a lot of guys I was working with, they were like, man, why you gotta be so black? I'm like, what do you mean why I gotta be so black? I'm like, wait a minute, you're black, telling me, asking me why I gotta be so black. I was like, wow. And I, and I just told him, I said, well, dude, it's like, it's, and I just studied the history of music and was like, dude, I'm gonna win. It's like, you know, and Richard Price, one of my heroes, and he was waiting for all these, like, he was, um, he was supposed to be in Blazing Saddles because he wrote Blazing Saddles. He co-wrote Blazing Saddles, that movie. And they gave it to Cleavon Little because Cleavon Little supposedly looked like the friendly Negro. That You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, I knew mm-hmm. that about Richard Pryor. And it was like, but that movie, everybody loved. The people wound up loving Richard Pryor forever because... He stood his ground and he spoke his voice and he was and he was as black as he wanted to be and political and funny and on drugs and marrying white women and beating black women you know you know what I'm saying he was like a complete man he was a complete man with all his flaws and that's what I aspired to be I, I aspired to be a complete man and a complete artist with all my with all my flaws and with and I want to tell the story about all black men, all black women, and all Puerto Ricans and all Indians or Mexicans. I wanted to tell our story because nobody else is going to tell it. And I wanted to tell it where it's like, it's like if you don't, I don't give a fuck if you play on the radio. But sooner or later, my people are going to hear it and they're going to hear that story about them. They're going to say, that's, that's me, yo. That's me. You know how fucking important that shit is for, for me being a kid, hearing some shit. And me, you know, Langston Hughes, I read him like every week. It's my favorite poet. Me reading the, the, the poem about the black mule. And, you know, saying like he's just going to be a mule forever and, and telling everybody to kiss mm. their ass. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be black forever. I ain't changing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, ain't, I am not changing. I ain't changing. Which, so it's like that's what it's important that, some, that you heard that. You understand what I'm saying? You sound like you're 20, you're like, you're like 30 years younger than me. You heard that, and it inspires you, right? So that was my yeah. thing. It was like I didn't, uh, and it was a conscious choice. And they, they told me, so look, man, you're not going to make as much money as LL or some of those other guys, but it was like, but I'm like, you know what, though? In the end, I was, I was, um, I was promised, in the end, I'll win. I just had to be mm. steadfast. So, mm. you know. And and I'm 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 winning. I'm gonna win. Well, um, uh, going back to your first album. So your um, all right. So the first album originally dropped in '85 on your own label, and then in '86 yeah. it dropped on Job, right? And I was curious to know if um the creation of these songs on your first album, um, if it had any any type of um, was it influenced in any kind of way with the whole Move organization and the bombing that happened in '85. Um, I'm going to say no. I was, I personally was influenced by, when my first two albums came out on my label, the School of record and, um, Saturday Night. Um, but I'm going to say it influenced me personally, but mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think it influenced me, um, until I did the deal with Capitol, so I started really thinking about it. Okay. Because I was, I was home when they dropped the bomb and I heard it and was just like, what it felt. I mean, I can't tell you what it felt like, but the, the earth moved. Um, it was mm-hmm. like sitting in your house, kind of just like fell off, like pictures fell out. And I was, um, it was, it was hot as shit. Uh, Damn. I was asleep. And 
and when this was open, it was like a normal summer day. You heard the birds chirping and shit, cars and riding by with boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden, you heard this boom, boom. It was like a rumble. And pictures of shit started falling off the walls. And I was like, what the fuck? was that, and it's like, holy shit, fucking Reagan and started, you gotta you got think about Reagan and started World War Three, and you go outside, and you see these fucking clouds, and the smoke, and you all of a sudden start hearing fire engines, and, and it's like, what the fuck was that, and you smelling it, and you're standing there, and you're looking up at the sky, and you're like, so, um, uh, WDAS, which was, um, the FM station we listened to, they, that's, we found out first, everybody turned their cars on the WJS and the house speakers and shit like that. And we heard that they just dropped a bomb on the, on the move houses and shit like that. It was just like, it was, it was like, wow. And, um, then I think the next day it was like, I was on a plane to, to um, France. Mm. Um, mm. and, and it was kind of like cleaned up. I'm going to say the, the thing that stuck in my mind about Philadelphia was um, that's when um, Mayor Rizzo um, took the, the, the Black Panthers out in the street um, of the Black Panthers office and stripped them down naked and fire hosed them. That's the thing that's stuck in my mind. That's, that's I think that sticks more than move. That thing that sticks more than move because I was out for like a month and then came back. But, but um, uh, the thing about... Um, Black Panthers just because, you know, everybody was a black nationalist back then. You know what I'm saying? We all were part of something. Um, and it could, that, that wasn't, the move was about moving in the neighborhood, but Rizzo and the black nationalists and the black Panthers, he was about everybody black, like anybody black. And, and Lover Philadelphia could have been part of that, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have like any? Did, did you have like any like relationships with like John Africa or anyone like in the Black, part, um, Black yeah, Panther it was, Party? It was um yeah it was um we knew everybody from yeah, everybody was part of it and um my um some of my neighbors were part of the move movement um mm-hmm. and um you know it was like you have them like in, in like I said you had like oh yeah like really. See, black people are really conservative, especially in Philadelphia. They're extremely, like, all the old church ladies were, like, extremely conservative. Like, all my father and my brothers, they were, like, black nationalists. And some of my um, friends, like my man, um, Pim Pretty, and, the, and some of those guys, they were, like, into moves. So, you know, and it's just all on the same block. So imagine trying, imagine navigating, and then, you know, my brothers, they were, uh, you know, they were black Muslims, and, you know what I'm saying? So imagine navigating, See, that's that's how complicated black people got to be just in their own neighborhood. You got all those different kind of things where it's like when white people, they kind of like all the Jews go move together, all the Irish go move together, all the Catholics go move together, you know what I'm saying? All the rich people go, but in a black neighborhood, you got to have rich blacks, you got to have poor blacks, you, gotta, you know what I'm saying? You got to have black nationalists, you got to have black Jews, you got to have move movement, you got to be back to Africa, you got to be conservative, you got to be <laughs> church, you got to be Muslim, you know, you, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? So it's like our, our neighborhoods are very more complicated than white neighborhoods or Jewish neighborhoods cause, or Irish neighborhoods because they tend to just, this is Irish, this is Jewish, and this is Waspy. In a black neighborhood, we just, everybody, it, it's like all of us. You know what I'm saying? It's, um, so I, I'm going to say I was, I was influenced by all of it. If you, if, if you listen to 
particular music and um, each different uh, a different album um, some are darker and some are lighter but it was like I got I think I got my chances to say what I had to say and say what I felt hmm. now right. um, I got two more, Philly, two more questions <laughs> Yeah, two more. Um, <laughs> How long is it? You said an hour, right? <laughs> it's been an hour. Yeah, um, I gotta go finish eating my fucking fucking fish and shit, man. <laughs> oh man, so much to cover with you. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're definitely lucky to have we'll, you on here. You know, we definitely appreciate it. Yeah, we made it. We made it to do like a part two or something, man. Yeah, we only made it past. We only got to eighty-seven. God damn. <laughs> yeah, man, like. If you're down to do it. All right, go ahead. Let's, 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 give me two good ones. Well, not the other one. That's one good, but it's, I'm proud of y'all motherfuckers, actually. You're, you're, you're oh. doing good. You're doing good. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, Now, with you being like an artist and everything, and um, I was um, doing some research, and you were talking about your, your uh, I guess, transition from the music business of music right. to the film right. business of music and how you got like a different respect from that. Um, can you speak on that and how, how the film thing started popping off for you? Um, they were, I was, I was, they were using my music in like film here and film here, but um, I think Abel Farrar was the one who really saw, um, I'm going to say this because I'm over 50, my genius. <laughs> and I turned King of New York, I turned it down 10 times. I turned King of New York down. Turns I said, no, no, fuck that. Crap, no. I was um, recording and my black enough for you. And I was like, I'm in, you know, I'm in my, my, my black mode. If you white, I ain't fucking with you. And so he was just like, fuck it. He really believed in me. And he went to RCA. He was just like, can I get this school of D, um, uh tapes as he, as he was turning music in, you know, for the album. And, um, they were probably they were my publisher, so he, he he was taking it and he was like using the music for the film without me knowing. And he called me. He did his first cut and he called me to New York and he sent you know sent a car for me. Did the whole fucking nine and I get there and said, look, man, I'm, I know you said no ten times, but I'm telling you, you're a film composer. And I went. I saw King of New York. And I was I was blown away. I'm like shit because I always wanted to be there. I just didn't think. I didn't think it was the right time. I didn't know I did, but obviously it was the right time. I thought it was, I thought I had like at least till like 95 before I started, you know, dabbing into, you know, film composers. I thought I had more to learn. Um, but um, he said, look, dude, it's like I was, I'm studying your career and your records are getting more, they're becoming more you, more complicated the music is complicated and he said that and he's looking at it and, and rap music was becoming starting to become more simplified around 90 people started picking and, and then, then you start you had bona fide television rap stars and he was like it's like you seem like the type of guy who want to make the music who want to sell the music and want people to hear it now you can make you can have people hear your music on television and in the, in the movies or the radio and he said if you, if, if you make it for the radio you don't have to water it down but if you make it for me, for my film, they're going to be on television and in the movies, and it pays more, and we can go to France and Italy, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and Germany and San Francisco. So, I, you know, I put a middle finger up to the record industry, and everybody thought I was crazy. And I, and I invited 
cats to come. And he said, I'm going to give you an NYU education and just never judge me because, you know, he was into his thing. Um, and I was like, cool. So I went and I had a fucking, I mean, a fucking blast. And it was like I was allowed to fucking stretch out and be avant-garde and say, I mean, it's like to say stupid. Because you don't know what's stupid until you say it. But if you're always afraid to say something stupid, you become a clam butt fucker. I could say all kinds of shit. I, that, then I started to understand what Coltrane meant by blowing green. Because you, you, you would see his colors, his music and colors. And I started seeing my music in colors. And, and I started to refer my music in colors. And people got it. And, um, and, and around that time, the, the, the early 90s, people, were, people weren't as much avant-garde and poets, um, rappers anymore. They were just rappers. They were becoming rappers, rap stars. That was it. People were like, okay, this is the formula. We got it. Just rap. Just cuss. Just put some words together. Boom. And... And then that's the new the new rap artist where it's like if you um, if you didn't have something other than that like Public Enemy they, they definitely had like the political side but then guys like the X Clan got and everybody else got swept aside you know because they didn't have a flavor slave you know what I mean so they, yeah, all of a sudden you had to start I've noticed like the the, the rap stars were, were they were very getting very picky and then the South started coming then the West Coast started coming then the Midwest started coming. Um, and it was becoming more of the entertainment side. And um, I do believe in entertaining, but I do believe in being myself also. So I chose, I chose film. And um, I had a fucking blast doing that shit. It was just, and I was, I remember walking into the HBO studios and there's an orchestra and, and you know, and, um, I was doing this film, um, Our Christmas, and, and I was like, well, who's, um, uh, who was the conductor? And they pointed at my little mm. black boy sitting in the back. You should have seen a look at this motherfucker. They was like, what the Julie are you fucking young the hood and come and direct this <laughs> me? But the things that I was doing, it was like, it was, it was, um, it was gaining respect. And I was gaining a different respect for myself. And, um, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that, that was on my list. You know, they say, you know, a lot of successful people have that list and they make it when they're 12. They make a list. And that's the truth. And it's like, I made this list when I was 12 and I accomplished all of them before I was 50. And it's mm. like, what's this thing? Now I got to start be, 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 be doing, I got to go back and do all these things now. But um, that was, um, that's an experience, man. That's, that's that's definitely an experience. And I know when you look at, but the thing is, if you look at um, like film and hip hop now, it's like it's, it's film and hip hop. It's not like, it's not like, um, it's not avant-garde. If you understand what I'm saying. Like, you, like it's such, it's such, it's such a, a conveyor belt. Like when somebody comes and asks them, uh, 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 an artist who raps or a rap artist or a rap producer to make something for a film, they know what they want to tell you to make it. Was not like when like the early guys. Like I really, really love like RZA and those guys. What they doing uh, with Tarantino and all those guys? You know what I'm saying? That's that's avant garde. That's their stamp. 
that I have my stamp now. Right. But when people ask for music for a film and they got somebody rapping in it, it's going to be rap and it's going to be something that you hear on the radio. It's not going to be something new or strange or different or like, oh, he got that kind of side to him. It's not going to be anything like that now because it's now it's like a conveyor belt. But, you know, that's his life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right, so final question before we let you go. Okay. Um, but, but please stay on for like one minute, um, so we can close out the episode and, and like just okay. talk to you really quick. Okay. Right. So, um, so, um, you know, uncle Luke, he recently came out with a book, so he's been doing like his rounds on like, you know, different, mm-hmm. um, forms of media and so on and so forth. And right. he, he always talks about when he was starting up and he was um, bringing a lot of artists into uh, Miami. He specifically mentioned you being one of the first that he, that he brought into Miami. So I wanted to, um, so I want you like to talk about that, um, for a little bit, your experience in Miami and everything like that. I want to say we, we, um, we, but Pierce came Gucci Town helped start like the whole Miami basement scene. And, mm-hmm. um, me and Luke and I, we, we, we developed a friendship because we were both young. Um, uh, we both ran our own record labels. Um, we both wanted to get into each other's markets. Um, and we had, you know, we had a lot to offer each other. We had a lot to learn from each other and teach each other. And, um, and with, um, the first, the first night we go down, um, he picks us up. And um, it's it's just it's just it's just a funny thing, man. I just I did. He didn't look like what I expected. I expected like this hood, like <laughs> the way he talks to me. Very just like very southern, very just like you know you you know saying you expecting Lenny from from Good Times. You ever see that shit? <laughs> My name is Lenny. If I ain't got it, there ain't any. <laughs> I expected somebody <laughs> like that. And Luke just showed up, just like you know what I'm saying, look like a Cody Cup businessman, and he took you know what I'm saying, he took care of us and um um. And, uh, and uh, uh, the night we were there, the first night, we finished the gig, and it was just like, boom, boom, blam, blam, blam. I was like, God damn, it was a fire crack. He said, no, let me just get killed in trouble. He had me a big sack of fucking, I don't know what it was. It was, a, it was the money for the night. It must have been like 30, 40 grand. He's like, hold this. Went to this fucking pocket, pulled the two Berettas, <laughs> went outside, shut shit down, came back in, and um, and I gave him the sack back. I said, what's in the sack? He said, you didn't look. I said, hey, look, this is shit. So that's why I gave it to you. He said, most niggas would have looked and seen this thirty, forty thousand $40,000 in rent, but I knew I could trust you. And he opened it up. I was like, all right, cool. And, you know, gave me my pain. So I just said, what's going on? So we can't leave. It's like, and like three kids got shot. I think two of them got killed. That's, that's you know, they had to wait for the for the police to show up, which they take about 30 minutes to after. It was, it, was a, it was a inspiring and fucked up night because we couldn't leave until the police came and cleaned up the crime scene and you know what I'm saying? So we had to wait like an extra 30 minutes for that to come. And, um, and he just, um, he showed me a lot. I guess we showed a lot about each other. It's like, he told me to totally trust him. And no matter what happened, I'm safe. Um, and I told him the same thing. I said, you know, no matter what happens, you're safe with me. Just like, whatever, you know, we do. And, just, and that was, 
that was the beginning. That was like, then he was bringing me down, like, you know, every other weekend. And it was cool as shit because this shit was in the winter. We, <laughs> we first started going down, like, in like <laughs> January. <laughs> like, fuck this shit. I'm staying in Miami. And we we built a, um, uh, and um, I'll tell you some more stories later. I guess the, the part two. But um, he wanted to, you know, he was the one who hit who who hit me up till I was being bootlegged because he was finding my records like all over and he brought them to me. He helped me find out find out who was bootlegging me and helped me take care of it a little bit and um and I helped him get his stuff played in like Philly in New York um, with Chris Schwartz. So it was like uh, for a couple of years um, we really we like we was just like with each other like like all the time um, working on one another having some fucking fun and. Um, and then I just like then I just went to York for like a while, a lot like a while, and just like didn't come back for like years. Um, mm. But um, yeah, we I could tell you some more stories, but it's like it's um, I'm getting tired. Of <laughs> oh yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, because I'm old, <laughs> little fucking old jokes, you motherfuckers. <laughs> it's like, yeah, an old man in bed and shit, old motherfuckers. <laughs> I got energy. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt but no we definitely appreciate you having on we appreciate all your stories and um this has definitely been epic for us and you know for hip-hop in general just hearing all your stories and everything and we on the channel 10 podcast you know we started this sure. mission of just documenting uh hip-hop history you know from where like yeah. from where we're from, you know, Baltimore and beyond. So um, we definitely appreciate having you on. We're going to shoot this out, um, you know, very soon and everything. And we definitely got to have you back in the next month or two that, you know, tell more great stories and everything. Um, uh, I guess to wrap it up, do you have anything that you want to plug or anything like that? Yeah, I'm doing the, um, I'm mixing the, um, there's two things coming out. There's, September is the 30th anniversary of Gucci Town and PSK. So um, I'm dropping in the Gucci Town in September. And uh, on Black, I'll send it to you. And um, on Black Friday, I'm dropping the original PSK and Gucci Town. Yeah, so oh, it's going to be the, the, yeah, the album, the, and the, and the record is going to be records. It's going to be yellow and white and yellow and black. Fucking nice. So mm. there you go. But I'll, I'll, I'll get you. I'll get you the Gucci job. I'll send it to you as soon as it's next. Uh, um, what about the uh, the freestyles on your original cassette tapes? I'll ask for them. I, I know there's a bunch of freestyles. I, I, I'm gonna have to like um, edit them from the um, from the block parties. I already mm-hmm. started. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna get them come together. Then I gotta just like you know. Um, put some, a lot of noise reduction on on the freestyles from the from the um, from the uh, from the block parties, and I might do that as a Christmas gift. It's like a free Christmas gift for all my fans. So you'll have them that you'll have them by Christmas. You're like, oh yeah, we're expecting this shit next week, motherfucker. <laughs> How about next that's week? Those millennials. <laughs> yeah, can we have it now? Fuck no, Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is like two or three months, man. Shit. Yeah, you're right. There you go. <laughs> Can't well, wait that long. Can you fucking Molly smoking motherfucker? 
fucking Molly <laughs> snorting Cialis, snorting motherfucking. I know what y'all niggas do. Um. <laughs> No, but thank you so much, uh, definitely for uh, you know gracing our our little humble podcast, Missional Ten Podcast dot com. Check us out on all the social media. Do your history to Schoolie D. Um, we'll have him back in the next couple months, hopefully, uh, hopefully before Christmas. And uh, with that, happy birthday, Singar Superior. We in the building. Yeah. We out. Peace. <laughs> all right. Peace. All right, brother. I'm out. Feeling this here. Yeah, son, you can feel it, man. Roll up, son. You gotta just do it, yo. Yo, roll up, man. It's a different channel, son. Roll up, on, man. Roll up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. Roll up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. Roll up, yo. CNN, Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, got in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, this grown man. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Catch more beef to Scarface.